Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year. Unless it's a leap year, then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and it's Valentine's Day, 2017, February 14th, and I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from the Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. Uh, I recorded a really good podcast, and it's gone. Something is really effed up with my recorder. So I am sitting in a room here in Palo Alto with a microphone in my hand, going directly into my laptop, and I am recording this this way because I'm fed up. I'm fed up. It's like a, it was a crap Valentine's Day for your pal Sully that begins with a really good podcast that's gone. It's gone. It happened the day before. So it wasn't a fluke. Thank you for those of you who hashtagged out eggplant, but holy Toledo. I have 365 of these. I can't afford to do 366, 7, 8, 9, 10. I'm just one man. I'm just one Sully. Hey, I got, um, someone was emailing me about, you know, advertising on my blog. And it was, it was just pure spam is what it was. It was like, hey, we got a, a hold of your site and we think that we can provide people who can give the, can provide content and write articles that would fit perfectly with your brand. Talk to us for X amount of dollars per article. And I'm like, completely believing that this is, this is just a blanket. They just send this out to everybody. And I wrote back to them saying, well, all right, well, what do you mean they'll write something to my brand? Like, what are they going to write? And the person wrote back and said, they'll, br- they'll write what conforms 100% to the content that you do. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I, I, I sometimes compare... Josh Beckett to a Star Trek film. I mean, I, I did a whole thing about Tom Brunansky's catch. You know, I mean, I, I, I talk about the, you know, I talk about some strange stuff on this show sometimes. You know, I, I mean, I, I talk about the alternate universes and the history of baseball and how that at reacts to the cosmos. You know, I talk about Will Myers as a hitter in San Diego, and then I, and I, I talk about why, you know, why the Rockies will eventually have a Hall of Famer. You're trying to tell me you're going to write something like that? And they showed me a bunch of the articles. They're all just sort of generic sort of, here are ways you can improve your SEO. And it's like, and I said, I write the stuff here. I said, why don't you give me the chance to write this? You know, because I don't want you going to sullybaseball.com and seeing here's, you know, card of the day, Here's the podcast of the day, and here is the best way for your business to reach its SEO. And if you're developing a business and say, where are we going to, where are we going to look up the best ways to grow our business? I know. I'll go to SullyBaseball.com. If you're doing that, just just quit quit right now. Sell your business right now. Now, if they're willing to pay me cash money, eh? Would you be patient and deal with an article or two once in a while? Maybe that'll be something worthwhile. Not sure. Your pal Sully really wants to turn this into, you know, a dynamic financial empire that is my podcast that right now pays me tens of dollars a year.
But with that comes my work ethic, which means I have to continue doing my podcast day in and day out. And on Valentine's Day, you know, I, I posted the card of the day. If you follow celebrybaseball.com, you saw the card of the day. And um, you know that my card of the day was Ellis Valentine in honor of Ellis, who was a... Mr. Valentine was a guest on my podcast, and he is very gracious, very funny, very open man. Uh, and, and go check on, go check online, and find those old podcasts with him. And I posted his podcast in honor of Ellis Valentine. Uh, there are other Valentines out there. Obviously, Billy Ray Valentine, Eddie Murphy's character in Trading Places, uh, Bobby Valentine. Bobby Valentine. Lest we forget, I mean, if you're a Red Sox fan, that name makes you shudder. Lest we forget, Bobby Valentine was a fine manager. He was. He did a good job with a growing team in Texas. He did a fine job in Japan. And he did a good job with the Mets. He took over a Mets team that was the la- was a laughingstock, and he did a good job. They went to the playoffs in back-to-back seasons. They, they won. I mean, how many pennants have the Mets won? 1969, 1973, 1986, 2000, 2015. There have only been five Mets World the wrong team won because not based upon like you know a, an underdog winning a championship, but you think about some teams that have won a World Series or won a title or something like that, and you think that if one of the other teams in that run had had won it, that probably would have been more beloved. I'll give you an example with the Mets. I think there were more players on that 1989 team that narrowly lost to the Braves, who were beloved by Met fans than the team that wound up winning the pennant. Uh, I think that, you absolutely think that the recent Cardinal teams that have won the World Series were, didn't have as many beloved players as, say, like the 2005 squad or, or maybe the 2013 squad. You know, the, the Braves team that won, you know, was, all right, there were a lot of players that were beloved in there, but they didn't have, you know, Terry Pendleton, didn't have Francisco Cabrera, didn't have Sid Bream, didn't have a lot of players who were really loved by Braves fans. So it was almost like the wrong, the wrong team won. And I, I, I remember Liam McEnany, huge Met fan, was talking to me about how the, he wished the 99 team won because he loved that team more than the team that won, in, uh, won the pennant in 2000. But interesting thing going about the current Mets team. The current Mets team is a very strange team to figure out. Because it's all there there's no way you could make an honest prediction of how this Mets team is going to turn out in 2017 because it all is based upon Syndergaard, DeGrom, Harvey, Mats, and Wheeler. I mean, if they all pitch well, then the Mets will do very well. If they don't, they won't. Now, it's amazing. It's amazing pulling a little Pearl Bailey there. That reference was just for my cousin Dave. 
Uh, it's amazing that the Mets won a berth in the wild card game when you think about it. Because I mean, think of they on August nineteenth, the Mets were sixty and twenty-two. Sixty and twenty-two, they were having. That's a losing record on August nineteenth. Now I don't remember what they did on August nineteenth, but that that means in August twentieth, by definition, they had a losing record. You're in late August and you've lost more than you won. And when you consider they played most of the season without David Wright, without Lucas Duda without Juan Legeris, and they did it when uh, Matt Harvey was uh, having surgery, uh, Stephen Matz pitched his final game, uh, and Jacob deGrom wound up uh, being lost for the remainder of September. You would assume this team you know, was an 85-loss team, but instead they went on a tear somehow and made it to... The wild card game, and remember in the wild card game, it was no score going to the ninth. They had a shot to win that. Now, granted, Bumgarner was pitching like, you know, Madison Bumgarner and shut down the, the Mets. But any time the game's 0-0 going to the ninth, then you have a shot to win. That concept of a game being tied going into the ninth is going to be something I'm going to bring up a little bit later. But something, you know, the, the Mets are going to have to rely on health. They're going to have to rely on good fortune. And they had terrible fortune last year and managed to, you know, be, be at least a playoff team. And they have Ahmed Rosario and <clears throat> Justin Dunn, a couple other prospects who are coming up through their system. Sorry about the cough there who are making their way up through the minor league system for the Mets. And you can look at this team and say, if they're healthy, they're going to be pretty good. If they're healthy, they're going to be very good. But if they're not, they won't be. They'll stink. And, you know, you could take a, and conversely, you can look at Washington. And Washington is going to be their primary competition in the National League East. Philadelphia is rebuilding nicely and should have a good team pretty soon. Same thing for Atlanta, but neither one of those teams are quite there yet. Unless the Phillies can pull off what Washington did in 2012. And the Marlins are, well, I don't know what the Marlins are going to be, certainly after the death of Jose Fernandez. I mean, it's going to be a rough time in Miami this year. So it's pretty easy to say, unless something really unforeseen happens, it's going to be between Washington and New York. And Washington is vulnerable too. Washington is banking on a lot of the Steven Strasburg, Gio Gonzalez, Tanner Roark world to pitch well. They know Scherzer's going to be fine. And their bullpen is question marks too. So, I mean, this Washington team is not a slam dunk. They could regress and the Mets could have a better year. But there's, there's, there's absolutely no way to forecast it unless you can see how well the players have responded from their injuries. You know, the Mets were smart to bring back Ioannis Cespedes. Uh, pisses me off they still have Jose Reyes and you know, just sort of smack myself on the head that they have that what you know 
familiar is going through. You know, it's like I was a familiar fan, and oh, great, now there's more domestic violence and everything like that. And again, with the closer, it brings up the image of, do we want to celebrate someone who's going through that? So it's Chapman all over again with the Mets. It's difficult to determine what type of year the Mets are going to have. But I found out something really interesting. Again, this podcast talking about Bobby Valentine. Terry Collins. Boy, oh boy, if there was ever a manager who was a retread someone who would make me roll my eyes going, how is this guy still getting these jobs? You know, there, there must be better qualified managers out there than someone who didn't have success, you know, couldn't go to the postseason with the California Angels, couldn't go to the postseason with the Houston Astros. There was basically a team revolt that got him fired. He wound up going to the Mets and just stunk up the joint. The team was lifeless. And I couldn't understand how he kept his job. And, you know, I talked with, you know, Super Met fan Poppy Kramer about this very topic. I'm like, why is this guy still, when she was on in 2013, 2014, why is this guy still employed? The Mets are dead from the neck up. This guy's a history of not being able to motivate his teams. What's keeping him with this team? And it's amazing how you can turn your opinion around on a manager based on success to how much can we point to with Terry Collins? I know Met fans who watch him day in and day out are no fan of how he is as a tactical manager. And there's some people who say they won in spite of him. But, you know, when you have a team that has a losing record in late August and they find their way into the postseason, I mean, doesn't some of that credit have to go to the manager? But here's the thing that really stunned me. 41 games into the 2017 season. At some point in May, forgive me, I don't have the exact date where game 41 is going to be. But at some point in mid-May, Terry freaking Collins will be the longest tenured manager in the history of the Mets. The Mets' entire history no one will have been the manager longer than Terry Collins. And he has hinted, he's in his late 60s, he's hinted that this is probably going to be his last year, and it probably will be. I don't know who's in the wings. It ain't Wally Backman. But he and Dusty Baker are the two oldest managers, at least in the National League. You have the two oldest veteran managers, both looking for their first World Series title after long years of managing. He will be the longest tenured manager in the history of the Mets. And I find that to be bizarre. Because, A, I don't think of him being there that long. But it's also because they've been bad for the first bunch of years there that it's like those years kind of blend together in your head. But I think, like, thinking back at the history of the Mets, they must have had someone there longer. You know, Gil Hodges, who's the greatest manager in Met history. It's probably going to be Gil Hodges because he was the manager of the 1969 team. And he also has a little bit of that cut down too soon because he died in the middle of spring training of 1972, just a few years removed from the Miracle Mets of 1969. And he probably would have had one of those free pass to manage for life, kind of like Earl Weaver 
with the Orioles, you know, kind of like um, Sparky Anderson with the Tigers, then you you just get you can manage till you don't want to manage anymore. You know, Jim Leland managing with the Tigers till he wanted to skedaddle. Then you would have Gil Hodges would be that one with the Mets. And who knows? Maybe get back to the World Series. Maybe he would have been the manager in '73 when they went to the World Series. That was Yogi. Yogi was the manager, but his tenure was cut short after the Mets couldn't repeat their success from 1973. You know, they had Joe Torre there, but Joe Torre they stunk when he was the manager. I really, you know, Davey Johnson, as of this recording, is the longest running manager in the history of the Mets. And when you think about the time that he was there, that they were putting up 91 teams year in and year out, and the teams that, the years that they lost the division, like 85, like 87, like 89, like 90, actually Bud Harrelson was manager by the end of 90, but those years, that stretch, the years where they didn't win the division, the teams that did win the division were St. Louis, Chicago, and Pittsburgh. In other words, if the divisions were aligned the way that they are now, they would have rattled off four or five straight division titles. And of course, they won under him. They went to the playoffs another year where they lost an incredibly close series to Los Angeles. I was thinking about who would have been the, the manager of the Mets and their Mets history and everything. And I was thinking about Willie Randolph who was not born in Brooklyn, but raised in Brooklyn, a Brooklyn kid who became a star with the Yankees, ultimately the captain with the Yankees, multiple championships with the Yankees, uh, returned to the Yankees as a coach, won more championships with the coach, and then moved to the Mets to be their manager. Now, he wasn't the best tactical manager of all time, but neither was Joe Torre. Let's get down to brass tacks. But... It would have been the great story of a local kid becoming a New York legend, like Torrey, who grew up in Brooklyn and didn't have a connection to the Yankees as a player, but became the great Yankee manager of the 21st century. And Willie Randolph, who at least played the end of his career with the Mets, had a little bit of connection with the Mets. He could have been that manager. Remember I talked about the wild card game and the Mets and Giants, it was tied going into the ninth. There's no score. Well, Game 7 of the 2006 National League Championship Series was tied going into the ninth. They needed to hold the Cardinals to zero runs, score a run in the bottom of the ninth, and the Mets would have won the pennant. And I believe they would have won the World Series against Detroit. And, of course, the, the, that was the... Andy Chavez catch game, but then Yadi Molina hit the home run. And it went to the bottom of the ninth, the bases loaded. Carlos Beltran, who has become one of the great postseason performers of all time, looking at strike three from Adam Wainwright, who at the time was a rookie. It looked like I thought, you thought, we all thought that Beltran was going to hit a homer, a double down the line. And I just envisioned that moment. I, what I was envisioning, he was going to split the outfielders, go all the way to the wall. The, all three runs would come in. The Mets would go to the World Series. That's what I thought. The last thing I thought was called third strike. And that Cardinals team 
which didn't even win 85 games, went to the World Series and ultimately won it. Had that been different, had the Mets won that and won that championship, Willie Randolph would have been the toast of New York. Willie Randolph would have had that untouchable Joe Torre quality to him. And maybe with that, the Mets don't collapse down the stretch in 2007 and 2008. Maybe Willie's still the manager of the Mets. Maybe Willie's one of those beloved Met figures. That's how close it came. A swing that never happened. And maybe Willie Randolph is the longest tenured Met in the history of the team. That's not what happened. It's Terry Collins, or will be in the middle of May. And that, to me, is strange. But... You know, if he wins with the Mets, you can look at him as a baseball lifer who won late in his career, kind of like what Jack McKean did with the Florida Marlins. Either way, it is virtually impossible to predict what's going to happen with the Mets, except the fact that it's going to be interesting. And it's going to be a Valentine in its own way. Not sure what that meant. I just want to tie it back to Valentine. A Bobby Valentine. An Ellis Valentine. Looking good, Lewis. Looking good, Billy Ray. So, go to sullybaseball.com. Like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Valentine's Day edition of the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast of 2017. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.